This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. Go ahead and pull out your Bible, if, uh, if you have them. And we are in the book of Acts. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. And the book of Acts is in the New Testament. Just go to Matthew and just go a few books over and you'll find this wonderful book named Acts. And we're in chapter 2 of Acts. And Acts is all about what Jesus in his resurrected and ascended place continues to do through the life of the church, through ordinary Christians, ordinary believers, ordinary followers of Jesus. Now, there's nobody like Jesus. You might imagine that a preacher would say something like that, but it bears saying again and again, nobody lived like him, nobody loved like him, nobody talked the way that he taught, nobody talked to people and outsiders and cripples like he did, nobody resisted him like Pharisees and hyper-spiritual religious people quite like Jesus, nobody lived like Jesus. It says in Matthew uh, that he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, that's the good news, of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his life brought a message. He demonstrated a whole new way of relating to God and he taught about a whole new way of relating to God and he described it as the kingdom. He said, the kingdom is among you. He said, the kingdom is at hand with him on the scene and announcing and proclaiming and living the kingdom because the king is at hand. The king has come and he's proclaiming a new kingdom that's breaking into this present dark kingdom. And he illustrated and described this kingdom as a kingdom of peace. A whole new peace with God would be ushered in through, through those who align themselves with God in his new kingdom. This kingdom is illustrated by power and a new freedom. So forgiveness and pardon with God and then new life and power to live in and under God's reign and God's rule, which is what kingdom means. And when he told parables about this wonderful kingdom, people would just start to lean forward and and marvel and get excited about heaven coming to earth because the way he described the kingdom was that God was going to restore all things. That God was going to reverse every single evil. Everything that's broken and crooked, God is going to restore through the kingdom, primarily through the king. Every injustice would be righted and righteousness and goodness and truth would rule and reign and joy and goodness and freedom and laughter would reign through this kingdom. So they were really excited about this kingdom coming. So it was probably with uh, great perplexity that they heard Jesus say, I want you to stay and not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So in this Highest anticipation of this kingdom, Jesus is saying, you're going to be baptized with something. You're going to be baptized or immersed, that's what that means, with the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, not very many days from now. And you need to wait for this promise. This promise is coming. Well, disciples are confused. 
they were hoping that the king was going to usher in the kingdom. What's going on? Why wait? So they ask him. They said in verse 6 of chapter 1 in Acts, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, is the kingdom coming now? Is every right going to be fixed now? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So they are asking for a kingdom to come and rule and reign now and a reversal of all things now. And Jesus is talking about power in their lives. He's saying you need power. They're saying, no, we want complete restoration. You're here. You're the resurrected king. The king is here. He's alive from the dead. So usher in this kingdom. And he says, well, actually, you are going to be filled with power and you're going to be filled with power so that you are witnesses all around the world. You see, Jesus taught something else about the kingdom that maybe the disciples forgot in this moment. He said in Matthew 13 that the kingdom is like the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nests in its branches. So when the kingdom of God breaks in, it seems small and then it enlarges as the kingdom continues to break in and break in and goodness and truth and life and love break into this, this present evil kingdom until it's like a tree, until it's unmistakable as it increases and grows in our visible sight. So Jesus taught that, but they are about to find out that the kingdom is about to advance right here and right now. And when Jesus shows up, And when Jesus pours out this power, this baptism that he said that they needed, he does in a broad way and in a large way what he did in a small way in his earthly ministry among a few. And that is he fills his people up, he gathers his people in, and he mobilizes his people out. And that's going to be our outline for today. The Spirit fills up. The Spirit gathers in and the Spirit mobilizes us out. So let's read and we'll pray and we'll get started. We're in chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, 
Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Serene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. Father, we thank you that John 8 says that you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. So, Spirit of God, would you come and would you speak your truth? And would you speak your truth so that you, by faith, by the, by the imparting of faith and by the increase of faith, would just bring freedom and joy and life and beauty and glory into our hearts in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Okay, so our outline for today is the Spirit fills us up, the Spirit gathers people in, and the Spirit mobilizes us out. So let's look at the first four verses for how Jesus, through His Spirit now, fills His people up. We'll look at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. So uh, there is a specific historic moment that's taking place in the book of Acts. This is inaugural. It's a point in time. It's a place in time that you could look to as something that God is doing. And it's all wrapped up in the gospel. See, Jesus has died on the cross for pardon and for forgiveness of sins. And then he rises up from the dead in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what he's about to do is breathe on the church this new power, this new resurrection life that he embodied in his resurrection. See, he went around for 40 days, chapter 1 says, and he taught about the kingdom of God, this resurrected one, filled with the Holy Spirit, talking about this kingdom. Well, now he ascends, and now his power and his life is going to be poured out on the church because we need the pardon of God. For sure, we need the forgiveness of God, but we also need the power of God and the freedom that his life ushers in in the resurrection. Well, that's what Jesus is all about. Jesus is all about giving you and I freedom, power, life, and his resurrection life. And so that's what is happening in the day of Pentecost. And the day of Pentecost arrives, they were all together in one place. So you might wonder, what's Pentecost? I've heard about the name Pentecost. It makes me a little nervous. I don't know what that's all about. Well, Pentecost is the word 50. That's what it means. And it It really basically means it's the 50th day after Passover. And this is one of three yearly celebrations that the Jewish people from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the day of Pentecost. So Pentecost basically came to symbolize harvest. It came to symbolize celebration and feasting and thanksgiving. That was kind of the theme. The theme centered on Thanksgiving. We're gathered as family and as friends, every year we get together and we celebrate this Thanksgiving and we call it Pentecost. So when you think Pentecost, you need to think Thanksgiving. You need to think Harvest Festival. You need to think grandma's coming into town and the kids are off from school and we're going to have a lot of fun. And there's a lot of planning and prepping and cooking and stuff like that that goes into it. There's So think bounce houses and candy and frolicking and fun. So that's what's happening for Pentecost. Are you there? You there with me? Okay, very good. Uh, in fact, a million Jews pilgrimed to Jerusalem every year for the celebration. So there's all kinds of people in town for the celebration. There's RVs and there's campers. 
There's people packing out the Walmart and they're just, you know, they're kind of an intrusion in the the day-to-day life. But everybody gets it. It's Thanksgiving. Everybody's got their plans. Everybody's got what they're doing. Everything's happening because it's a huge festival. People would come and prepare and then you'd have the day of Pentecost and people start to pack up and go home and, uh, and all that stuff. So... That's what's happening on this day when they arrive in this very ordinary building, this upper room where 120 people have been gathering to pray every single day faithfully because they've been told by Jesus that something's coming. They don't know exactly what that means, but they're showing up and they're being faithful and there might be a little bit of a spiritual principle in there that sometimes God shows up in the most ordinary and mundane times and places in our lives if we just show up. And that's where they are. They were all together in one place on this day of Pentecost. So they would have walked past a ton of people getting ready for the festivities. They're walking past the bounce houses and RVs on their way to this time of prayer. And I don't know what everybody in the room was thinking on this day. We're going to find out later. This is nine in the morning when they all kind of gather. And so they might be talking about some of the plans that they've made, some of them are talking about maybe the inconvenience of the festivities and the celebrations and all that kind of stuff. But I can imagine if you've got 120 people, 120 Christians, that there's probably a few in there that are maybe not that excited about the holiday and what's happening. And uh, maybe they are viewing this as a little bit of an inconvenience and an intrusion. Well, have you ever had that kind of a holiday in your life? You didn't really feel like celebrating. It's Christmas and the music's going, but there's something going on in your life. You're waiting for something and you just really don't feel much like celebrating. I imagine that some people here felt that way. They're waiting for something significant. The holiday kind of seems like a little bit of a distraction until Jesus shows up for the party. People from around the world come in to celebrate And wouldn't you know it, Jesus comes too. And this really quiet room is about to get really loud with joy. This really dark room is about to light up with his life. This really small, tiny group is about to get really big and multiply. All in a moment, Jesus does amazing things when he shows up. And so he shows up. Well, what happens when he shows up? Well, look what happens in verse 2. It happens suddenly. They didn't plan for it. They didn't, uh, well, they were planning it by prayer, but they, they didn't know exactly how this whole thing was going to happen. It just happened suddenly. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound. So something external, something outside of them, Luke says, from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind enters into the house. It says, filled the house. That's what this whole section is about. Fullness. This sound fills the entire house, not just parts of it. The whole house is filled up with this sound where they were sitting. So they're just, I mean, this is, we get an eyewitness view of what's happening here. They're all sitting together. And all of a sudden, like this tornado-like sound hits them. Hurricane rushing kind of wind sound is filling up this entire house wherever they are. Fullness is coming by way of something that they are hearing from heaven. Something from heaven is now being heard in their audible ears, and they're all looking around at each other saying, what's happening? What's going on? 
I can imagine uh, there would be some people, if you're anything like me, that are uh, terrified potentially by this. I'm not a fan of tornadoes and thunderstorms. I talk to people who are moved to Texas maybe and they're excited about sleeping through the thunderstorms and stuff like that in Texas. Not me. I do not like thunderous clapping sounds coming close to me. I don't, that, that doesn't excite me very much. So I don't know what I would have done in this moment. I've been terrified. I've been freaking out. Well, they hear something from heaven in verse 2, and then they see something from heaven in verse 3. Notice, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them. So they're seeing something that looks like, this is the best language Luke comes up with, Divided tongues as a fire. That's kind of a weird description of what they're seeing, but that's what they see. Divided tongues as a fire appeared and rested on each one of them. So we're seeing fire and we're hearing wind. And wind and fire over and over again in the Old Testament is what happens when God shows up anywhere. There's wind and there's fire And in the Old Testament at Mount Sinai, people backed away from that wind and the fire unless you were really stupid like Uzzah and reached out and touched it and kind of killed on the spot because of his holiness and his power. The priest could approach that presence. The the priest had the peace of God on him to approach that kind of wind and that kind of fire. But something different is happening here. People aren't backing away. They're not running terrified. This, This power and this presence is resting on each one of them. Do you see that? Nobody's left out in the 120 people. There are no super spiritual people in the room that really get the resting and then the rest don't. Each one of them gets the rested power and the presence of God drawing close to them. And in verse 4, they say something from heaven. Look at this. And they were all filled. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this is like a really nervous passage here. I mean, if you come from a like a maybe a conservative background or Baptist background like me, if I grew up reading verses like that, and let's let's move quickly on past this point. This is weird and strange, and it is weird and it is strange. Let's just recognize it for what it is. Here's what's happening: the Spirit is giving them utterance and they are speaking in tongues and in languages that they are not prepared for. They didn't go to the community college class and pick up a second language that God's helping them out with. They are normal Galileans that showed up for prayer and worship and all of a sudden they're worshiping in tongues that they were not prepared uh, at all. They don't even know what they're saying, but they know that they're worshiping, but they don't know exactly what they're saying. Well, in Luke 3, we're told that Jesus is going to do this kind of immersing. So Luke talked about in Luke chapter 3 that John said this. He said, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than me is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we know that Jesus, part of his ministry... And his ascended place is to immerse people with his spirit and with fire. Fire has this cleansing element to it, has this purifying element to it. It is life and, and glory as, as Jesus draws near to his people through his spirit being poured out. 
Well, what's happening in this moment is what happens to any of us when we are filled with the Spirit. And we're commanded in Scripture over and over again to be filled with the Spirit. And these guys are going to later need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is an interesting paradox. You can be full of the Spirit and still need to be filled with the Spirit. And over and over again, they will later need to be filled with the Spirit. They feel their desperation. They call out to God. God fills them with the Holy Spirit. That's the same in our experience as well. Even if you've experienced the visible side of tongues of fire... Uh, you still need to be filled with the Spirit. And what is what does this filling do to them in this moment? Well, it helps them see Jesus. That's what Jesus said was going to happen in John 14. He described the Spirit as a helper. Why is he a helper? Because we need help. He's a helper whom the Father will send in my name, and he will teach you all the things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Everything that I've said, my character and my life, my attributes, the Spirit is going to remind you of all of that. So that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit shines the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. The Spirit doesn't make us go just horizontal to one another or deeply introspective or something. The Spirit primarily shines the light on the face of Jesus where all joy and life is found. So And that's what they're doing. They're declaring Jesus. Their eyes are focused on his praise. And they're also experiencing joy. That's the heart of what prayer is all about. It's worship. Worship is all about God's spirit giving us joy. So even in times of sorrow, Paul says, you can be sorrowful, but through his spirit, always rejoicing. The other interesting mystery that through his spirit, We can be going through some deep stuff and yet experiencing joy and yet experiencing worship and also boldness. These guys are not super uh, spiritual people. They are normal people like you and me. And they're just showing up for the prayer meeting. They don't come from this great pedigree with all these wonderful experiences and all this, all these smarts and education and they've got all this, the finances that are going to make it happen. They are not at all. They are just regular menus in this room and they are about to be filled with boldness for a witness. Peter can't be a witness before this little girl in a fire and he's about to stand up and preach the gospel and 3,000 people are going to say, I Sign on to Jesus by faith, based on your testimony. In Acts 4, they're about to face persecution, which is coming. And left to the decision of whether we're going to preach the gospel or not, they say, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. So what they've said is we are experiencing something and they are experiencing something that is going to serve them the rest of their days. Now, God is not opposed at all to us experiencing his presence. I mean, being a witness is not just talking about truths about Jesus. Being a witness is communicating those truths of about Jesus in the context of how those truths and that person has related to you and is relating to you. That's what it means to be a witness. You are witnessing to your experience of this God that you declare in the gospel, the God that you proclaim. So to declare the gospel certainly involves truths, truths as outlined in this text, but it also involves your personal encounter with God, the God that you are describing. 
And you don't have to know a lot about Jesus. But to be a Christian, you must know Jesus by faith alone. There was this individual in John chapter 9 that gets cornered by these Pharisees. And they say, tell us everything about this insurrectionist Jesus. And he says, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That's what a witness is. Hey, I was blind, but now I see. I'm, I'm sorrowful, but I'm rejoicing. I, I'm confused, but he's giving me clarity. That's what a witness is. It's des- describing what that relationship with Christ through his spirit looks like. So he fills. He fills every single person up in the room. And then notice what happens in verse 5. He gathers people in. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So here, a good question somebody might have is, well, I, I thought tongues was some kind of a heavenly language or something like that. It is. It's described as a heavenly language in 1 Corinthians 14. And, uh, and Paul was excited about the gift of tongues. He said, I, I pray in tongues and I wish all people did. But he said, not everybody will. It's a gift of God that God gives to some, not everybody. And it's a gift. It's a, it's a gift of prayer. It's speech directed towards God. And, uh, and it, 1 Corinthians 14 talks a lot about that. But here, the gift is manifested in known languages. Actual languages that people were talking and using in that time and in that culture. So it's a, it's a unique manifestation of the gift of tongues. And they are bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So what's happening here? What's, what's Jesus doing in the outpouring of his spirit in that there's all these people that come together at the sound? Now, the sound could have been the wind, but it's more likely the sound of a native tongue coming from a room that nobody should know. What is happening in that room? And it's probably not a bunch of people all just talking about talking at once. It's probably one person talking and declaring praise in one language. And then another guy goes and another lady goes. And it's just one after another. Everybody's just talking praises to God in a native tongue. And, and people are just starting to rush towards that. And you know how it works. A crowd draws a crowd. So two or three people gather and five or six. And then all of a sudden you've got a, a number of people all surrounding and they're all hearing what's happening. And it's supernatural. They're bewildered. These people don't know this stuff. They, they shouldn't know. They don't look wealthy as if they've you know, got multiple languages under their belt. And so they're surprised. Well, here's what's happening. Jesus, in this moment, is demonstrating a sign of the kingdom. And one of the signs of the kingdom is a reversal of judgment. In Genesis 11, there's this story. I don't know if you grew up and you heard this story or not, but there's this story about the Tower of Babel. How many of you remember the Tower of Babel? How many of you had the flannel graph of the Tower of Babel? Can we, we just need to bring the flannel graphs back. There just needs to be a revival of flannel. Um, there is uh, on the stage a revival of flannel. We need the graphs in graph form. Um, here's how the story went. The, the people created in the image of God, 
rebel against God and incur his judgment, incur a curse, and yet created in the image of God are, are endued with amazing potential. And that's true of you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you are created in the image of God and you are given enormous potential, amazing ability. Well, that's what happens in Genesis 11. These people say, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of of the whole earth. And so what people are doing is they say, we want a stage. We want to be center stage. We want to build a tower all the way up to heaven and we want to make a name for ourselves. We want to be great. We want to be popular. We want everybody to see how wonderful we are. We want to be famous. That's the cry of every show on Nickelodeon. We just want to be famous. If I could just be famous, be famous rock star, be, a, be a, on, on stage somewhere. We just want, want everybody to look at us and how wonderful we are. Well, it says in the story that the Lord came down to see the city and to see the tower which the children of man had built. Kind of like a, a dad looking down at like a set of Legos and... And the Lord says, behold, there are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And so he says, speaking Trinitarian, come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. So God brings a, a, a judgment on them and scatters them all over the face of the earth. So you want to know where do all the languages and cultures and tribes come from? Where do the prejudices uh, you know, come from? Well, it, it didn't come from God, but through that dispersion, you know, there's confusion now. Speech is confusion. Motives are confusing. Uh, people don't relate well. They look differently. And now there's race problems and prejudices and issues. And so you wonder where all that came from. It came from that confusion when the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And what God is doing in this moment is he's bringing all those people back. He's reversing what they did in their sin. And he's redeeming that moment in Genesis 11. He's redeeming that story, that whole story that looks so weird and strange and what can God do with that story? What can God do with, with that history? Well, he's building the church through it. He's redeeming everything about that story. And, and we've all got experiences in our lives. It wouldn't take us very long to think about some things in our history that we would think is unredeemable. Just weird, strange. But God reverses evil. God reverses the things that we've done. And he reverses the effects right here. And he's building the church through it. Now, it says that there were devout Jews here in this text. Now, if you were a devout Jew, and this didn't come from the Bible, they would sometimes, the devout ones, the really uh, spiritual ones, would import some things. And if you were a devout Jew, you would pray daily things like this. God, I thank you that I was not born a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. So imagine these devout people moving in close to the house and hearing women. Holy cow, women are in there. 
speaking in my native tongue, uneducated people, Gentiles, all praising God in their native tongue. And what God is doing in this moment is he's, he's not saying that distinctions don't matter. He's saying that there is one overriding, unifying thing that makes all those distinctives pale in comparison. And that's his spirit. So in Galatians 3, Paul says it like this. For as many of you as were baptized or immersed into Christ, not Paul, but Jesus, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that's not to blanket away those distinctions. Those things are beautiful things. Male and female are are unique and there's wonderful distinctions between that that scripture talks about. But he says that's not our primary identity. Our primary identity is that through the spirit, we are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offsprings and heirs according to the promise. So he gathers people in. That's what Jesus did when he went throughout Jerusalem and Judea and he preached the gospel of the kingdom. He gathered people close. That's an effect of his spirit. But notice that he also mobilizes people outward all at the same time. It's not like step one, two and three. It all is happening all at once through his spirit. Look at verse, look at verse seven. And they were amazed and astonished. I would be amazed and astonished. Saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? The answer is yes, they were all Galileans. And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? And there's an effect here, verses 9 on, that we're supposed to really listen in and lean into the numbers of nations and tribes and cultures that is about to be listed. This was not one or two people. This is a number of nations that all gather in and they start hearing native languages come from, verse 9 says, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residences of Mesopotamia. So they're like looking around in the crowd and they're saying, are you, where are you from? Well, I'm from Mesopotamia. You hearing? You heard your native tongue? I did. Lady over there. Gave me a native tongue. Where are you from? From Parthian. I'm a Parthian here celebrating. Family's down the road. Got something in the crock pot cooking. Are you hearing this? I am hearing this. What about you? I'm from Mead. You hearing? Yes. Elamites? Yes. Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia? Yes. Yes. You? Yes. You? Yes. You? Me too. What about Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Serene? You mean even, even that part of Libya? Even that one belonging to Serene? I have no idea where that is. I don't know the significance of that. Probably should have studied that a little bit more. Didn't. Sorry. But those parts too. Those parts of Libya belonging to Serene. That, that, that meant something to them. It was amazing to them. That area 
is hearing a native tongue. Visitors from Rome. So when Paul is writing the book of Romans, he's he's writing this book to Christians. To a church he didn't plant. He's, He's writing them to raise money so that he can go plant a church in Spain. Well, how did those Christians get there? Well, they heard the gospel and went back to Rome. And churches started to develop. And that's how it all happened. Happened right here. These Romans are hearing. And then it says not only places, but people, both Jews and proselytes. Proselytes were people who became Jews by baptism or by um, circumcision. Cretans and Arabians. Verse 11 says, we hear them. We hear them. We shouldn't be hearing them. But supernaturally, we hear them. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They are hearing about the mighty works of God in a tongue that they weren't taught. And, And they're perplexed. They're amazed. Verse 12 says, they were all amazed. Nobody there is going, I get it. Nobody got it. They're all amazed, every single one, and they're perplexed, and they start to say to one another, what does this mean? And others are mocking, saying they're filled with new wine. That, that's a logical explanation for somebody coming in from the outside saying, what's happening here? These are people speaking in unknown native tongues that they weren't taught, and some people are saying there's something supernatural happening here, and then there's other people are saying, no, I don't get it. They're filled with new wine, which is kind of funny that Peter later stands up and says, well, they're not filled with new wine. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. It's an interesting argument. <laughs> Why that was important for him to say. He thought that would be convincing, you know, nine o'clock. That doesn't make sense. Maybe six. Nine is strange. Well, what's happening here is that just God is directing their eyes and their hearts outward. And Jesus did this. You know, Jesus shows up and and he shows up in power when he fills people with peace. He fills people with joy. He gathers people in. And at the same time, paradoxically, amazingly, he, he focuses our eyes outward to others to make disciples. Revelation 7 says this. It's a vision of heaven. And heaven is a wonderful place often talked about by Jesus and a vision of it by John in Revelation 7. And he says it like this. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation, Belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John says you couldn't count all the people there. Nobody could. He says impossible to count. No one could number from every nation. Even those parts of Libya. Even Pontus and Asia and Egypt and Rome and Cappadocia. Even those proselytes. Those outsiders. The Cretans, all those messed up people in Crete that we looked at a few weeks ago. Arabians, every single kind of people. All those people, those people that you never imagined were in heaven. All the great multitude 
All with white robes, not white skin, white robes. Multi-ethnic, multi-languaged community. All singing, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation, every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. Nobody left out. No people group left out. No, no hidden group somewhere. No culture that gets dismissed. Heaven is wonderfully diverse, multi-ethnic and multicultural and beautiful. And if you could tune your ear, you might be here today and say, I don't know what tribe I'm in. I don't have any idea. I don't get it. If you could tune your ear to heaven, you'd hear your tribe. You'd hear your culture. And in a moment, we're going to tune our ear to heaven. We're going to sing. Join the saints who have gone before us. And let's just end our, our time together by just just singing and crying out to God in desperation. That's appropriate. That's what they did that day. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And anybody who calls out to God and says, man, I'm desperate, they'll be desperate again, for sure. They are filled because God is all about fullness in this kingdom. He doesn't want anybody left out. Now, there'd be times of difficulty and struggle, but sometimes in the midst of struggle and difficulty is when Fullness and freedom and life comes. And that's when he gathers us in and he, he sends us out. But before we sing, verse 12 says, Of those who are amazed and perplexed, some said, What does this mean? And others said, I'm mocking this. They've got to be filled with new wine. So you might be here today and you, you hear all of this and you hear the singing and what's happening and you might be mocking. And I understand There were times of my life where I mocked that idea. Well, um, we are followers of Jesus. And by his spirit, I've never seen a a tongue divided. I've never uh, seen that or or heard a rushing wind. But I've been given new life. And you're in a room with people who have been given new life through Jesus, through his Holy Spirit filling us. And we're under the influence of his love and his grace. Imperfectly, all of us. But we're all under this influence. And it's not wine, it's his spirit. And that's what makes us a part of his kingdom, is his spirit. And I would encourage you to continue to read and explore the book of Acts with us as we move forward together. And um, you also might be at a place where you're saying, I'm hearing what you're saying. And I would like to be under this influence of this kingdom. And what does this mean? Well, Paul, I mean, Peter is going to stand up and he's going to tell them exactly what it means. All of this was prophesied in the Old Testament. This is a sign of the kingdom. Anybody can come in. Anybody's welcome. If you want this new life, just reach out for it. But you've got to repent of your sins and reach out and grab hold of that which is truly life. And you'll be forgiven of all your sins. Every single sin. Gone forgiven of everything, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you. There's nobody the promise isn't for, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So repent and turn and trust, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you can join us now. Let's all stand and 
Maybe this is the first time you want to do that. But we're all turning and trusting. That's what repentance is all about, turning and trusting in Jesus and asking him to fill us. Just crying out for him for desperation and in desperation and hope and asking for his fullness. So let's pray together. Tim's going to lead us in a song. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.